0: Have you ever wondered what it might be like to play a piece of music and get to ask the composer questions about it? Call up Beethoven, see what he was thinking? Or have you ever wondered who else was writing music at the same time as Mozart that you might not have known about? Well, we'll talk about all this and more as we chat with violinist Rachel Barton Pine, today on...
1: Classical
2: Sprouts!
0: Welcome to Classical Sprouts, the awesome classical music podcast for kids. I'm Kate Botello, and I recently got to talk with internationally acclaimed concert violinist, recording artist, and educator Rachel Barton Pine to talk about a new piece she's been playing and a project and album featuring some amazing black composers. But before we meet the awesome Rachel, let's start with a Quizlet question. Since Rachel's last name is Pine, we're going to the forest for our Quizlet question today. Where is the largest national forest in the United States? Some forests get the distinction of being preserved as a national forest. Which one is the biggest and where is it located? We'll give you a hint along the way, so stick around for the end of the show and we'll tell you the answer. Rachel Barton Pine has put out more than 35 albums so far as a violinist, spanning a huge range of different composers and styles. She recently premiered Violin Concerto No. 2, written for her by Billy Childs, which we'll get to hear about today. We'll also talk with her about her album Violin Concertos by Black Composers of the 18th and 19th Centuries, which was nominated for a 1997 NPR Heritage Award, and was recently re-released. We'll get to meet some of the composers featured on that album and hear some of their work. So, let's dive in. Rachel Barton Pine, you are at Interlochen to perform the Billy Child's Violin Concerto No. 2. You've worked with him before. Can you talk a little bit about the collaborative process and working with
2: a composer when something is written for you? Yeah, well, it's always so awesome to work with a living composer at all because you can get your questions answered. You know, I can't just text Beethoven and say, wait, what did you mean by that articulation in Measure 93? You know, I just have to try to figure it out for myself or dig up historic resources. If it's the composer's alive, it makes life so much easier. <laughs> but it's a great honor to have a composer write something for me. Because then, first of all, they might have my playing or my personality in mind in the piece itself, but also the fact that you're seeing the process unfold, that they're asking you, okay, I want this effect, you know, what bowing pattern would I use to achieve it? Or I might be saying something like, you know, this is a little awkward, maybe we could have the same idea, but slightly altered in this way. But seeing the actual process of, okay, does this work at this dynamic? And, you know, can you play it at this tempo? And just all that detail of the actual writing of it. It's given me so many insights, first of all, into works by non-living composers, because you know, I can just kind of imagine what I might ask them and what they might say based on this experience over the years. When you're playing a new concerto, you can't listen to somebody else's recording of it. When I was first learning it, of course, there's No way to hear it. Said whatever MIDI kind of thing from the computer, but that didn't really do much. Yeah, even a work that hasn't had an official recording, if somebody else has performed it, then there's an archival recording, which, of course, we now have of my first two performances. We've been super lucky that Billy has worked it out with his schedule because, you know, having him at rehearsal to comment about balance and tempo and all that stuff has been invaluable. And I just I just really rely on his ears. I mean, there could be like a whole flurry of notes and he'll go, oh, that C sharp should actually be a C natural somebody played. And I'm like, how did you even hear that? And yeah, I think that's his genius, really. So I'm super pleased that we're not just playing this with professional orchestras, but that we are here at Interlochen to, um, you know, to give the kids this experience.
0: We're listening to the performance Rachel gave with the Interlochen Arts Academy Orchestra. The violin concerto ended up unexpectedly being written during the very
2: start of the pandemic. A lot of the Emotions in there are what you know Billy was going through and what you know all of us were going through. I love his titles of the different movements: resilience,
1: mm-hmm.
2: rejoicing, and remorse. Mm-hmm. All these R words, which is coincidental that I happen to have a, a first name that begins with the letter R. <laughs> 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 but yeah, it's it's a magnificent piece audiences have loved it. The orchestras have enjoyed playing it, which is the best statement of all because, you know, if your musicians are liking the music then you know you've got something special. Mm -hmm.
0: Billy Child's going to have things that he wants the audience to take away when they've heard
2: it and from his perspective. What is something, what do you want them to carry away from this? Music as it moves through the centuries uses different harmonic languages. But despite the fact that this was written in the 21st century, it's very accessible. And what I love about Billy's music is that it is interesting sonically with the orchestration and all, you know, with the rhythmic patterns and with the harmonies and everything. But all of that really is conjuring up a set of emotions and he's so great at bringing all of the feelings into his music as you're listening to it and experiencing it you're just really feeling the music and i think that's the most successful music of any time is music that just speaks to your heart
0: been talking with Rachel Barton Pine about her collaboration with Billy Childs on his Violin Concerto Number 2. After the break, we're going to hear all about some of the amazing things she's doing with her foundation. During the break, make sure to follow us and rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you always know when a new episode's available and so more Sprouts like you can find out about us. Stick around, Sprouts. We'll see you after the break. Hi, I'm Keith Brown, and I'm the host of Gameplay. Every week on the show, I celebrate the amazing world of video game music with everything from beloved classics to brand new soundtracks. You can stream episodes at our website, GameplayShow.org. I hope you'll join me for this adventure. At the beginning of the episode, I asked you where the largest national forest in the United States is. Now, here's a hint. It's roughly the size of the state of West Virginia, but it's not located there. And it's home to many salmon, bears, wolves, eagles, and whales. Any guesses? Stick around for the end of the show. We'll tell you the answer. Before the break, we met violinist Rachel Barton Pine and heard all about her collaboration with composer Billy Childs and got to hear part of his Violin Concerto number no. 2. But Rachel isn't just a performer. She's also spent many years of her life as a musician running a foundation, working to not only support classical music education and access, but to promote the works of black composers.
2: A lot of times, there's just a body of tradition and pedagogical knowledge that is missing. You want to learn the Tchaikovsky Concerto, you can listen to hundreds of live performances on YouTube, dozens of commercial recordings from violinists living and dead, study with thousands of teachers who studied it with their teacher, who studied it with their teacher. go to a Florence Price concerto or a um, Samuel coleridge Taylor concerto and there just isn't that body of knowledge. My foundation is addressing some of the even more fundamental issues of where do you find the music, is the music engraved in a playable way. And what music exists and you know, all that good stuff. Our primary purpose with a lot of our activities is to inspire and encourage and support African-American or black youngsters from around the world who are studying classical music, but also to bring this repertoire to everybody. And if kids are you know, having a bunch of really awesome music in the mix of what they're learning as children, those children are going to grow up to not just be the performers on stage, but also arts administrators, board members, and patrons of arts organizations, audience members, and they're not gonna want to retroactively go back to some narrow slice of the repertoire that's not as interesting as what they grew up with. I just love seeing kids get excited about the music itself.
0: One of my favorite albums is the music by black composers of the 18th and 19th century and was re-released in celebration of its 25th anniversary in
2: 2022. in 97 when i was researching these works and deciding what to put on the record i already knew of the existence of florence price and some of her music and there was one single page of the manuscript of her violin concerto at a library that where i was looking in the archive and i said okay well where's the rest of it and they said tragically, it's been permanently lost. Nobody knows where it ended up. Um, We've been looking for it all these years, and we believe we'll never find it. So we know she wrote it, and it will never be heard in the world. And it was just the saddest, saddest thing. And all these years, you know, that's always been in the back of my mind. And then, miraculously, there was a trunk of her manuscripts discovered in an abandoned barn. And the people that bought the barn brought the manuscripts over to a library. And now we have this treasure trove of her string quartets and just all this stuff, solo piano works for days. This is a generation that's finally going to have the opportunity to have Florence Price be their favorite composer. When the record came out in 1997, people just had no idea that there were fabulous black musicians, black composers from the 17 and 1800s. The 1800s are represented really by the Afro-English Samuel Coleridge-Taylor. Samuel Coleridge-Taylor was one of the most important British composers in the Victorian era, late 18, early 1900s, and his parents were an Englishwoman and a doctor from Sierra Leone. He had a very successful career as a violinist, conductor, and composer, and he was often referred to during his lifetime as the African Mahler or the Black Dvorak, which, of course, were you know showing the esteem in which he was held by his contemporaries. And he wrote lots of music, symphonic, choral, chamber. Um, actually, his oratorio Hiawatha, based on the Longfellow poem... was, for many decades, the most frequently performed oratorio in the world, beating out even the Handel Messiah, if you can imagine that. Over here in America, there were not as many opportunities for people who happened to be of African descent. And a lot of times when African-American classical musicians would start their own organizations, they would call them Samuel Coleridge Taylor Societies after their hero. Our website, musicbyblackcomposers.org, has all kinds of free resources. So it not just lists our publications and things, but there are repertoire directories, there are directories of composers, which are currently totaling more than 450. So you can really explore that database. There's a page of children's books, there's a podcasts page. We're always very open to to more and more ideas. A lot of our activities have come from the suggestions of, of people along the way.
0: Rachel Barton
2: Pine, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been a great pleasure.
0: Alrighty, Sprouts, it's time to answer our Quizlet for today. At the beginning of the episode, I asked you which national forest is the largest in the United States and where is it located? I also said that it was home to many salmon, bears, wolves, eagles, and whales, and took up about the same amount of land as the whole state of West Virginia. I'll give you another hint. It borders the Pacific Ocean on the west and the Canadian border on the east. The east? Yeah, that's right. You think you know? Well, the answer is, drum roll please, It's the Tongass National Forest in Alaska. The forest contains the largest temperate rainforest in the world and has streams, towering mountains, thick old growth trees, granite cliffs, and deep fjords. And in addition to all of the natural wildlife, it's also home to approximately 70,000 people, including the state capital, Juneau. Be sure to follow us on instagram at classical sprouts we share things there that we don't cover on the podcast so make sure to check it out we also have a spotify playlist of rachel barton pines recordings that we didn't get to listen to today which you can find on our website at classicalsprouts.org check out her work this episode of classical sprouts was produced by emily duncan wilson with support from amanda sewell our digital content manager is Casey Brown, and our recording engineer was Michael Culler. Many thanks again to Rachel Barton Pine for spending time with us. Rachel, you're awesome. That's it for this episode of Classical Sprouts. I'm your host, Kate Potello. bye